Amen. That's good stuff. Amen. Are you glad to be back? I'm glad. I said last night, I'm glad to be looking at faces instead of the wall or Greg. Um, I like Greg and everything, but he's getting old, you know. <laughs> it's good to see you guys, really, for real, to be back in this building, back in this place, and, um, and uh, here together. As the psalm said in the beginning, it said, I, I was glad when they said, let us enter the house of the Lord. Amen? Are you glad this morning? Yeah, and it gives, you know, there's, there's one piece of something at least to be grateful for in this moment. And um, in this moment of time, in this season that we've had, is, um, it really gives us a deep appreciation of what it is to meet together in person. Right? It makes us grateful, um, and it's not just this monotonous routine that we go through, but really, um, it's uh, something that is a privilege, something that we're able to do, and um, something that we get to do. Such a great privilege. So praise the Lord for that. Um, I trust that nobody's IDs were checked at the door. I need to, uh, I need to explain. And uh, I think it was the funniest thing that happened this week. Miss Kathy Barker called me, and she said, you know, I read all the stuff that y'all put out, and I just want to make sure it's okay that you know, I'm in the senior population because we just want to be really careful. Everybody who's a senior, um, all of our health officials are saying that you could be at an increased risk or vulnerability. So we just want to make sure we put that out there. But I told Miss Kathy just off the fly, I said, but nobody's going to be checking your ID at the door, you know. So she, she came up to me and she was like, where's your ID? You know, she, she carded me this morning to be in church, you know. <laughs> it is uh, good stuff. I'm really glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, before we start, let's just pray. Let's go to the Lord. God, thank you. Thank you so much um, for who you are and um, for the ability, for your provision for us to be able to be in this place and to worship you. Um, as you seek for us to worship you in spirit and in truth, that we lay aside, um, like JT was saying, just all those distractions that we're sitting kind of far apart and we might have a mask on or, you know, and there could be a thousand things that our minds are distracted with. But um, God, help us just to focus on you this morning, to focus and rally together as your people around your word and to know you and to know you well this morning. God, would you speak to our hearts and help us to have just a moment here to settle and to listen for what the Lord is saying, for what you are saying to our hearts and in our minds, to our ears, our spiritual ears today. God, help us to hear you. Help us to be a people who follow hard after you that we know you, we know your voice. You said that your sheep know your voice, and a stranger they will not follow. So God, help us to be attuned to your voice and, and listening, listening. And God, thank you for um, the meal that we get every time that we come to your word. You said that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. So this morning, we're excited to hear from your word and to get that sustenance that is necessary for our spirit man. So God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. And um, thank you again and again for the opportunity to be able to be here and to be able to worship. God, thank you for the protection that you provide for your provision. And um, we just lift you up and we honor your holy name, the name above every name, Jesus, this morning. We say hallelujah and give you the highest praise that can come out of our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to go to the Word. So from last week, if you were here, um, Dr. Miller talked about Ezra. So you were not here, probably, if you were listening online and you caught last week's sermon. He went to the book of Ezra. Today we're going to go to the book of Ephesians. So I see some of you about to turn or go, and if you want to go somewhere, go to the book of Ephesians. But I just want to piggyback off of last week first and kind of explain to you why I chose the book of Ephesians, why to be in that. Um, Dr. Miller spoke last week, and he talked about... Um, he gave us scripture from the book of Ezra, and the meat of, of, um, of his sermon came from Ezra chapter 7. And he was pointing to the fact that Ezra was on this, on this journey after he had believed God for so long 
um, to go back to Jerusalem. And they were in a Babylonian captivity, if you remember from the history that Dr. Miller gave us last week. And that in that, he said that there was this four-month journey. And along that journey, Dr. Miller pointed out Ezra chapter 7 right here. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem. So after four months, he arrived there in August of that year. Very interesting. He arranged to leave Babylon on April the 8th, the first day of the new year. And he arrived at Jerusalem on August the 4th. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. And then it gives us this explanation of why the gracious hand of God was on Ezra. In verse 10, it says this was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. And then Dr. Miller um, likened that to our own situation where we've been away and we're able to come back and worship in person. Um, and you're still worshiping with us online also. You're not forgotten this morning. Thank you guys for being here and joining us. But throughout this journey, he likened it to this, this time um, that Ezra was going through for these four months as he was traveling. And Dr. Miller told us that he was preparing. He was preparing in the way of knowing God, of knowing the Word, knowing His law. He would have only had those first five books of the Bible that we know now, but he knew the Word of God well, and he was obedient to that. He was probably worshiping along the way because finally he was able to go back to Israel from this captivity in Babylon. And he wasn't just going back to Babylon empty-handed. The king of the day gave him everything that he would need. God provided everything that would be needed to go to Jerusalem and do what, what was needed to do. So I sprang from this over into Ephesians. And the reason why I did is because I believe this is the Apostle Paul's words that are very similar to what Dr. Miller was getting to us from the book of Ezra last week. Is the Apostle Paul is saying, this is who we are. This is our identity as a church. And we want to know the word of God doctrinally. This is who we are. And this is how we act as a result of that. This is who we are because of who Jesus is. So I saw these parallels I was list, as I was listening to Dr. Miller last night. So I sprang over to the book of Ephesians. Ezra was ready. He was prepared. He showed up in Jerusalem. And um, something that we do see here is that he didn't show up with an, a crisis of identity or a crisis of faith. He knew what God sent him to do. And I believe that's the same thing the Apostle Paul is telling us in Ephesians. He knew what God was sent him to do. He knew God's word. He knew what his commission was. As we do today, we have a great one, right? A great commission. And uh, he knew what his commission was, and he was about doing it. He was about doing it. So, again, we're going over to the book of Ephesians, and um, that's what we're going to do today. So in the book of Ephesians, or really for a little while, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul does two really important things. If you know the book of Ephesians well, you'll see that there's this real um, dividing line between right down the middle of the book from, verse, from chapters 1 to 3 and chapters 4 to 6. And in chapters 1 to 3, he defines our calling. This is the Apostle Paul again. He defines our calling as the church, as the church as a whole. Who are we? What are we supposed to be doing? He defines our calling. He defines our purpose as a people of God. And individually, he defines our purpose, and he also defines our purpose together as a church, as the one unified body, the church. And then in 4 through 6, when you get to the back half of Ephesians, he defines our standard of conduct as believers. So in, verses, in chapters 1 through 3, he is in effect saying doctrinally, this is who we are. This is who we are, doctrinally, who God has made us. And then practically, this is what we do, and this is how we behave because of that. So the history to the book of Ephesians, I just want to take you through a little bit of that. The history to the book of Ephesians um, is 
the church at Ephesus was established on Paul's second missionary journey. So if you know of his missionary journeys in the book of Acts, then there's three. And on his second missionary journey on the way out, he established the church at Ephesus. And you have the year there. And Paul's third missionary journey, so he goes back out and he visits these same people where he established his church. And he stayed with them for three years. For three years. So this is kind of leading up to, this is the Apostle Paul's experience with these people before he ever writes this letter to them later on. Upon leaving them, so he left them after three years, and he encouraged them not to allow false teaching to corrupt the gospel. You have this true and clear gospel message, and he says, don't allow other people who are non-believers or other people who want to add to this thing to take away from it. Don't allow them to corrupt the gospel. And that's Acts chapter 20 when he leaves them. Paul urged Timothy when he did leave to stay as an elder, to care for them. And you can see that in 1 Timothy um, chapter 1. And then in Acts 28, this is on through the history of the book of Acts. And the apostle Paul is again a troublemaker. He's preaching the gospel and he gets put in prison. So from his stay in prison, he wrote what we refer to now as the prison epistles. These are letters that he wrote from prison. And I remember these four as Pepsi, not the drink. But here's what this is. Um, scriptural letters from prison. You've got Philemon, that's a P. And then Ephesians, E, Philippians, and then a dash C, Colossians, Pepsi. You know, that's how you remember, how I remember, and how I've seen it done, to remember which letters that he wrote from prison. And this is one of those. So by the time we get here to this writing, the Apostle Paul has this rich history with these people. He loves these people. He spent a very considerable amount of time with these people. You think about what's happened in your life or in your circumstance over the last three years. That's a long time. And he spent those three years with these people, with his church feeding into it and loving it and loving the people there. And now he's in prison and he's writing this letter to them. So we find out also in the history of the word where in Revelation, if you continue to go, we have pretty good evidence that the church at Ephesus took Paul's encouragement to not allow anyone to corrupt the gospel. And they held the line and they kept the doctrine that is true. And they actually kept a real Christian faith. But what we see when you turn over to the book of Revelation, the message that the, that the angel of the Lord has for that church is that they have lost their first love. You know, so we do see that over the time and in the history of these people. So we see very clearly who we are in the book of Ephesians. We see very clearly who we are because of who Jesus is. And we need reminding of who we are, who we are as Christians sometimes. And we get lost in the roughness of life, that difficulty that can come and uh, naturally comes to all of us at one point or another. It is a good thing for us to be reminded who we are in Christ and whose we are, that we don't forget these principal things. We get lost um, sometimes in life when it becomes monotonous and it's just a routine that we fall into and then we forget about our first love we forget about the lord and we forget about what his calling is on our lives and what you know we can get it twisted that it's all about going to work and all about making money and all about just kind of keeping things rolling in a physical sense but we have a newness that we walk in amen this newness of life that we walk in this real commission that we have that doesn't need to just put be put somewhere back in the subconscious of our lives but on the forefront to be really on the front for, forefront of our lives for us to know who we are and who we are in him and who we are because of who Jesus is. So, um, and we don't need to be a people with a crisis of faith, especially in this time that it's really difficult, you know, and people are looking, they're searching for Jesus. And hopefully when they search and they see our lives, they don't see a crisis of faith. 
They don't see a crisis of identity, that we know exactly who we are, who we are in the Lord. And we can and we will for this world that we're living in, 2020, be prepared as Ezra was to face the challenges that were ahead and the world around us with certainty and not uncertainty, but to know with certainty, knowing exactly who we are because of who Jesus is and operating as an ignited body of Christ. One that the Apostle Paul through the book of Ephesians is going to encourage us to be a unified body of Christ, one fellowship, one group of believers who are unified and ignited, ignited for the cause of Christ, that it's not just something else that we do, and it's not just a traditional value that we hold, but this thing is real, and the Holy Spirit is actually living on the inside of us, and we are ignited. And here, that the church, as we leave out, as we understand who we are, and we operate in that, that our lives, that our families, that who we are, kind of says to the rest of the world, come to Jesus, that we're ignited in a way, and we're living in a way that says, come to him, because that is the great commission of the church, that we know, as Ezra did, what our commission is, and we follow it, and we do the thing, and we stay in the spirit of the Lord, and we stay ignited in his presence, and in his word, and we say to the world, come to Jesus. So, I'm inviting you and your family to follow me through for six weeks. So six weeks um, through the book of Ephesians. Now, I found a study that we can all do together, anybody who wants to, who wishes to. And I want to show you this. Um, We can travel through devotionally. So there's a few ways to be able to do it. So Greg is going to send out a text right now, a mass text to the whole church. And if you are on a smart device, you can follow along in that way. It is called um, 21 Days in Ephesians. So there's a few ways. I've tried to find a way that anybody who wants to be involved can be. So again, electronically, you can do it from a smart device. It's called the Bible app. Who has the Bible app? Yeah? Okay, every one of you can follow this text straight through. Um, In my experience with it and just testing it out with a few people, you might have to update your app and then go back to your text message, back through the process, and join it that way. Now, if you don't have a smart device and you don't wish to do it that way and you want to do it electronically still, like from a computer, like from a dumb device, a computer or a laptop, not really. Um, If you want to do it in that way, you can. All you have to do is visit our website, go to gospelbc.org. And when you visit our website, there's a little button there that looks exactly like this picture on the screen. It says 21 Days in Ephesians. You click there, and it'll take you to the website Bible.com. If you don't have an account, you can just register right there and then go back through the process, and it'll look like the church invited you to do this study. Now, for anybody who does not want to do it electronically at all, I took that electronic version and I put it in a paper copy. So what it is, is every day that you do it, there's another blue box. You might or might not be able to see it, but it's just straight through. There's a little blue box for every day that you're doing it, and if you want to follow along on paper. For those of you who are physically here, you can grab one of these on your way out the door. Anybody who's listening, who's not attending service yet, if you want one, all you have to do is let us know. Contact a staff member. You can contact me, and we will mail you a copy. So if you can think of a way that we can get it out other than those ways, you let me know, and we'll make it happen. Yeah? I just, uh, I don't want anybody to say, I would really like to study the book of Ephesians devotionally along with everybody else, and I just can't do it. I don't want that to be anybody's story. So if that's the case, please let us know, and we will help you. We'll walk you through the app. We'll walk you through um, the website, or make sure you get a paper copy if that's what you want. So on the website, 
there's a timeline so that we understand it well. We understand that there's six weeks, but then you told me 21 days, and that could, that could be a little confusing. So what's going to happen is I'm preaching every other week. Me and Dr. Miller are still just taking turns going. So here are the days that I'll be preaching today. I'm taking um, verses, I'm sorry, chapters 1 through 2 of Ephesians. And then so you'll have seven till um, September the 6th to do the first seven days. So we're kind of splitting this devotion in half. Right? So in, in your time, the day 1 through 7 of the 21 days covers chapters 1 and 2. So then I'll come back again on the 6th and preach from 3 and 4. And, then, and again, this information is on the website. And then you'll have until the 20th of September to finish just a week's worth of material, which takes you through 3 and 4. And it'll take you verse by verse devotionally. And I encourage you to do it yourself or um, as a couple or with your family. Um, and it, I've gone through a couple of them already myself. And it won't take you more than 15 minutes. There's more there where you could spend an hour or two doing it if you wanted to. But um, really, if you just get down to it and open the thing and, and apply ourselves, then um, it won't take you more than 15 minutes or so. So we're going to get into the book of Ephesians, who we are because of who Jesus is. So this is um, verse number one. As we go, um, <clears throat> verse number one, let's just read it together first. Paul is an apostle. Jesus Christ, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, so he didn't choose it for himself, to the saints which are, at, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this doctrinal portion of the Ephesian text, number one through three, these chapters, Right off the bat, there's a beautiful encouragement from the Apostle Paul that this is more than just an informal greeting as we would give, right? If we see someone face-to-face, -face, the kind thing to do would be to acknowledge their presence in some way. And a lot of times that looks like, hello, how are you? Or, you know, and I might say back, I'm doing well, how are you? This is more than that. This is more than just an informal greeting. Um, we, re we wouldn't really expect somebody to sit down after we say, hey, how you doing? Um, and kind of give us their life story and like, really, how you're doing? It's just an informal greeting that we do as a matter of kindness, you know, that we, we acknowledge someone's presence. That's really all we're doing. But here, the Apostle Paul, as he sits down to write, again, he knows these people well. He loves these people. And this is way more than just an informal greeting. So when he opens this, he's calling them saints. I want you to pay attention to that word. When you look at the word saints that he uses there and what he is saying, he is saying, this is who I am because of who he is. Because of who Jesus is, this is who I am, a saint, a holy person, right? Which at a moment, you know, when I, when I read that, it gives me pause, and, I, and it should give you pause too. For someone to walk up to you and to call you holy, that means that you are perfect, that you're clean, that you're, you've never done anything wrong. You're a holy person. You're a holy. You're a saint, Right? You start thinking about, you know, I'm not, I'm not Mother Teresa. You know, I've, I've done some crazy things and probably don't do enough good stuff. You know, it should give us some pause for a second because I understand that by nature, by birth, and by choice that I'm a sinner. And I've done things that are terribly wrong, right? I've done things that are counter to what God would have me to do. And therefore, I've allowed sin in my situation. From, again, from nature and by choice, I've done things that are very ugly. 
So it should give us a little pause when the Apostle Paul is looking at the church, at the universal church that he is going to explain, of which you and I are a part, and he calls us saints. He calls us holy, which is something that we need to understand then that I can stand on that, that I understand that's part of who I am because of who Jesus is. Holy, blameless, clean, amen, because of the blood of Christ. And it should give some sort of a reaction maybe on the inside of me or at least a deep appreciation for who Christ is, right? Because without him, that is not possible. Who am I because of who Jesus is? I'm clean. I'm holy. I am a saint, a saint of the Most High God because of who Jesus is. So he's expressing here in, in, in verse number two, he's saying, grace be to you and peace. And again, this is more, more, and it means a lot more. It's very important than just, hey, how are you? He's saying grace and peace to you. And he's referring to because of the, the grace that we have received. He refers to our stance of peace. He's referring to our stance of peace because of the grace of God. Because of God's awesome grace, we have peace with our creator God. The extension, the extension of grace and peace here is important. And he's expressing his wish that grace and peace be with them. That today there's this ignited body of Christ. When we realize, we understand that who are we? We are a people at peace with God. That we are a peaceful people because of the grace of God. Now, verse number 3 in Ephesians chapter 1 starts this new section that is spiritual blessings. He's going to throw out these spiritual blessings that belong to us because of who we are in Christ. This is what we have, and this is who we are. So here it says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We're a people who are blessed with every spiritual blessing because of our unity with Christ. The heavenly blessings are specifically defined, again, in verses 3 through 14. If you have your Bible open, you can look. Look at all that material between 3 and 14, all of that real estate that it takes up on the page. Look at that. Notice where 3 through 14 is. So it calls us to question what are the spiritual blessings that are outlined here and how are they obtained? They're obtained through our unity with Christ. Something... Very interesting about verses 3 through 14 in the Greek. If you're able to look at that and actually see it and read it and understand what it's meaning, that's all one sentence. From 3 all the way to 14, look at all that spot. Look at all that stuff, all that content is one very complex sentence that he is getting across, that we've broken down for our language for understanding. But in 3 through 14, he is giving spiritual blessings. And I went through and just said, okay, who am I because of who he is? When I look at verses 3 through 14, and I came up with a few things that I want to share with you this morning. And again, I'm not going to continue going verse by verse. We have just a few minutes left. So I'm going to, to just roll through these and see what are the spiritual blessings that I catch with my eye and who who am I because of who he is in relation to these things? So in verse number four, when you look at this, we understand that we are loved, that we are loved, that we are chosen in Christ. I am chosen, as the song said that we sang this morning, chosen and not forsaken, that I am who he says that I am. And I want to stand on that confidently. Um, that I am chosen in Christ, I am holy. This is not a repetition of, on my account. This is the Apostle Paul's repetition to the, to the Ephesian church. He says it again, holy. I am holy and I am blameless, that we are blameless because of the blood and the sacrifice poured out because of Christ. Number five, it says, though a sinner by nature and by choice, 
an enemy of God. An enemy of God. The creator of the whole universe. I don't think we, we um, put our minds to that enough. That without Jesus, there's this idea of total depravity. And not to get us down. And not to have us leave here not feeling good in the Lord. You know, but I think to really catch a good understanding of his grace, of his kindness, to really catch the understanding of how good our God is. It's necessary to go to the other side and really consider what the penalty for sin is. That total depravity means that there will not be any positive results at the end of this life. Understanding that we are eternal beings and live on after this, there are no positive results when we're separated from our creator, right? We've got to understand, and without Jesus, there is that song that we sing about the chasm, how great the chasm. There's no way that we can get across that. There's no way that we can reach God or be good enough, right? There's only Jesus. There's only Jesus. And until we really understand our total depravity under sin and the penalty and the curse of sin, it's hard to have a really actual good appreciation for what we are provided with in Christ. But nevertheless, that we, though an enemy of God, we were adopted into God's own family through Jesus Christ. Look at number six, and you'll see it there, that we are a recipient of grace. And this grace that we do receive, the descriptor here is grace poured out. That it's not just a small measure of grace, but it is grace poured out. And that word, that idea was put there on purpose. That he could have just said that we are a recipient of grace, but he didn't. He said that we have we received grace in a measure that is poured out, that is abundant. In verses 7 and 8, we are recipient of, recipients of showered kindness. When you look at the kindness of God, that it is not a small measure of kindness that you and I individually and us as humans, Humanity collectively have received but again he uses the descriptor to show us that God's kindness is not small and we shouldn't make small thoughts out of God's kindness toward us that this is kindness that has been showered on us freedom he says we have freedom from the power and the curse of sin by the sacrificial blood of Christ spilled on our behalf if you remember the scripture that we see we understand that while we were still sinners Christ died for us and everything that we have ever done and and you look at sin in its totality Jesus took it on himself I love I said last night I love to hear Pastor Paul talk about imputed righteousness and the beauty with which he covers that and we've got to be reminded of that today that the substitutionary death the sacrifice of Christ allowed for God to not look at the things that we have done to not look at sin when he sees us but he only sees the blood of Christ and he does see us as holy perfect blameless in his presence that we now can come boldly before the throne of the God of all creation because of the blood of Christ. That should cause something to rise on the inside of us, right? That should cause us to be ignited in a way where we live in this grateful appreciation to the Lord in our actions and in our mindsets. And in that, we say to the world around us, come, come to Jesus. His sacrificial blood spilled on our behalf and it bestows forgiveness of every every offense and that's why I say when we go through this devotionally that you can sit down and you actually probably could spend an hour like mulling this over and looking at this because if we really take our stuff out and we examine the things that we've been forgiven of it would take a long time wouldn't it 
but surely it would cause this great, beautiful level of appreciation, maybe that we've never even experienced before. Maybe it would create a hunger and a thirst in our hearts for God's Word, right? Verses 9 through 11, we know that God's revealed plan for us, that we don't have to run around guessing um, what God wants from us or what His plan is for His people and His church as a whole. He says it very clearly here, verses 9 through 11, we know His revealed plan, and that is that we would be unified as a body, that we would be unified with Christ, and that all things would be under His authority. He's given us free will. But, you know, I hope that we will. We will be these people who will bring everything under the authority of Christ by our will now. We know that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess. And it's indisputable who the King of Kings is. But today we have a choice to bow that knee and to say, you are the Lord of my life. Amen? And I hope that we'll do that. That everything comes under his authority. That we have an inheritance that is sealed, he's going to say, by the Holy Spirit. We will praise and glorify God for all of eternity. We see that in verses 12 through 14. We are chosen by God. He gives this picture in 12 through 14 of the Trinity. That God the Father, we are chosen by Him. That we are salvaged. Salvaged by Christ. And then sealed. This promise is sealed by the Holy Spirit. That we have the indwelling Christ with us. That, that echoes back understanding that this is the truth. That God the Father has chosen me. And through Jesus... I have come through the Holy Spirit. He called me to Jesus and I'm under Christ and I'm unified with him. This is sealed by the Holy Spirit that he gives us today. This is who we are because of who Jesus is. Who we are because of who Jesus is. These spiritual blessings, they refer to every spiritual enrichment that we need for the spiritual life. We understand, we're going to see in just a second in um, chapter 2, that we've been made alive. That once we were dead to our sins and we served the power of sin and it was our taskmaster, right? If we go back to Romans um, 5 and 6, it gives this really clear picture of where sin came from, right? Our father Adam, by one man, sin entered the world, but then by another man, sin was obliterated. It was taken away if we would accept Christ. And it was through this other man, Jesus, right? And he says, so God's grace will always be greater than sin. You'll never be able to out-sin God's grace. And then he says, he says, but should we continue to sin that this grace might have to abound over? And he says, of course not. You know, of course not. And he says that who we yield our members to serve, that is our master. So he encourages us there to lay our whole bodies down, everything that we are, every member, right? Our thoughts and everything that we are to serve Christ as an instrument, he calls it there to serve Christ. I'm about to preach Romans. I apologize. So uh, these spiritual blessings, they refer to everything that we need for this spiritual life that we've been made alive to walk in. But we have a clear choice to walk in the flesh or to walk in the spirit. And we should be walking in the spirit, walking in this newness of life that he has given us, right? And that when we fall away from that, we dust ourselves off understanding we have an advocate with the Father and we just stand back up in the power that he gives us and we continue to move, continue to move and believe the Lord to use our lives for his glory, for his purpose. Since all of these benefits are already given to us, that we've talked about, this forgiveness of sin, this beautiful peace that he provides, we're promised joy in the Lord and in this new life as we walk in, um, that we have joy. 
So we shouldn't have to continue to ask for these things that God has already given to us, but rather we should be appropriating these things in our lives by faith. And it reminded me um, of Joshua. Just quickly, if you go to Joshua chapter 1, you see very clearly that Joshua wasn't supposed to sit in a tent somewhere and pray for this land. God gave him the land. He said, go get it, you know. So he went to get it, you know, and the first place that they ended up was at Jericho. And in that land... You know, with Joshua, he didn't give him the city of Jericho. He gave him the land that Jericho was on. And so Jericho was this, this um, obstacle to what God had already given the people. And if we really look at that, there are obstacles um, that keep us from possessing these things that God has given us, from us walking in the reality of those. We might be beat down today because of the wrong things maybe that we've done. Maybe we're beat down or we're defeated and we don't feel like we can get victory and walk in victory and be free from the power of sin, right? Maybe we feel that way. Or maybe we feel like God doesn't like us right now, you know, because maybe we're not doing enough. And all of us have this tendency maybe to, to run in that direction, you know. Um, or maybe we've lost our peace or joy and Jericho is in the way. But our God, when you look at how our God took down Jericho and how he takes down maybe even our doubt and takes away this idea that we are beat down and depressed because God doesn't like us anymore because we made mistakes. Maybe there's a Jericho in the way of us possessing or appropriating by faith the peace, the joy, the forgiveness that he has already given me, the sonship, this adoption into his family. If there are things in our minds that stand in the way, there's no no way um, that God can't remove those things. He can. If he can take the walls physically of a city like Jericho and flatten them to the ground, he can take um, all of those things, right? He can take them and he can remove those things and we can walk in the land that he has given us, that he has promised us, right? Who am I because of who Jesus is? All of those things, every spiritual blessing is given for us to be able to walk as he's asked us to walk. And we don't need to let things stand in our way when our God is just as powerful as ever to take those things away. This is, um, pa- um, I almost said Pastor Paul. <laughs> this is Pastor Paul's prayer. No, it's not. It's the Apostle Paul's prayer. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to end here. But this is the end of chapter 1. He says that spiritual wisdom and insight, this is what the Apostle Paul is praying that this universal church in Ephesus would have. And I believe this prayer goes right for us too. What does God want for us? What is the Apostle Paul praying for these people? He is saying spiritual wisdom and insight that you may grow in your knowledge of God, that we grow in who, who we are in Christ. Um, I said last night, and I really believe that it is the truth, and most of you can probably attest to this fact by living the Christian life for any given amount of time that you understand that when we pick up the word and we're really about it and we're doing it and we're disciplined to be in the word and be in his presence every day it's like the more we do that the more we want to do that right but then in those moments where we have put it down and we've gotten busy and we allowed other things to become predominant it's like the less we do it the less we want to do that right I told him last night that one of the first things that I started doing when I started attending church and I got saved and it was just me. I had no family there or anything like that, but I had this hunger to serve and they put me to work, um, <laughs> of course, you know, and, um, and I loved it and I wanted to do things. And one of the first things I was tasked with was um, changing the church sign. Um, nobody else really wanted to do it and it needed to be done and we changed it every week so I had a day a week and this lady got me a book um, two books with 99 church signs in them and one of those church signs as I was flipping through I still remember the day I was sitting in a chair at this little little desk at the church and I was trying to find a church sign that wouldn't be too long or 
you know, all that stuff, you know, because you only have three lines, and you try to um, preach the entire Bible through the church sign, people usually can't read it, you know, and uh, I had to learn that quickly, and um, so there was this one line that I saw that stuck to me, and I was 15 when I got saved, so I couldn't have been far from that, and uh, I'm about to turn 34, (laughs) and it's never left me, and uh, it said, where growth stops, decay begins, and um, it stuck. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. I pray that you would not get um, mundane in your faith. That we would stay on fire for the Lord. But it takes a people who are willing to stay in the Word, to continue to grow, that this spiritual decay does not enter our lives because we have purposed in our hearts, like Ezra, you know, that along this journey, along this way, that I will commit myself to the Word of God. He's asking us. He's praying that the Lord um, would guide and light their paths, that they would continue to grow in their knowledge of God and not let this beautiful thing, this relationship that we have with the Lord, um, to fade away. That their hearts will be flooded with light so we understand the confident hope that is given. He calls them again holy people. Pray that, um, that these people, that we today, would understand God's power His power to be able to walk in it. And this is where the beautiful scripture comes from, that this same power that raised Christ from the dead, you know, this is that same power that he's referring to. The church is Christ's body, and we were made full and complete by him. We don't have time to go to chapter 2 because I talk too much in places that I probably shouldn't have. But um, in chapter 2, go, read it, do this devotion with you and your family. And, um, and there it says that we're made alive in Christ, that we want to stay alive in Christ. And then there's a few, um, there's a couple other sections there. I'm just going to, I'm going to um, bump through this really quick. This is chapter 2. Look at all that stuff I had that I didn't, you know. <laughs> all right, so uh, in the, the next section in chapter 2, he talks about us being unified. I think it's really beautiful um, in this moment that he's talking to them because the, this is a place that is very diverse. Um, the Ephesian church, uh, this is a big, I guess what we would call today a metropolitan area, and there's Jews there, there's Gentiles there, there's people from different backgrounds, and he's saying we all need to come together as one body because Christ has made us one, right? That we are this brother and sisterhood, right? That this is who we are, family. Not one of us has not been adopted into the same family, so act like it is what he's saying. Be unified, be unified. And we are his temple, that we are the building blocks of God's temple that he is building. We are the building blocks, and Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone with which none of that would stand. So I praise the Lord for um, the book of Ephesians. I praise the Lord for the reminder of who I am and who we are together as Christian people who are under the blood of Christ. I hope that today there um, can be this spark that would cause a new sense of gratitude toward God and um, for all that he has done for us, that we would live in the light of that, that we would be ignited in God's presence and that um, how we carry ourselves would be saying, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, know him. Um, People are hungry right now. People are searching, people are looking, people are scared, you know? So if we come and approach the world knowing who we are, there will be something about that. Just one more thing. I remember this little kid's movie. that also stuck with me. And um, I can't I, I think it's The Bug's Life or something. 
and I think we'll be like this. This is relevant, I promise. I'm going to make a point. So, you know those little blue zapper lights um, that zap the bugs? You know, and there's this little fly. I might have told this before. There's this little fly that's coming, and he's like screaming. And he's like, I can't, I can't. You know, and he, it, it gets him, and it kills him. And I really seriously think about the church um, like that, that we're this light in the middle of a very dark place. And um, if we are, we are living in the light as he is in the light, you know, that the world would be so attracted, you know, that they need to know what it is that causes you to be so certain in an uncertain time. What is it that causes Miss Millie to always have a smile under her mask and hold a sign, you know? It causes them to want to know, where does that come from? Because this is a world right now that everybody's mad about something, you know? So how can you hold a sign and smile? And then I have, you know what? Here's how. Jesus, you know? Be the light. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, who we are because Jesus, because of who you are. Lord, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Lord, I'm grateful for the moment that comes along in chapter 2 that says that we are like trophies to you, that you could sit us up on a shelf and you can point to each one of us and show us off as an example of your kindness, of your goodness, of your grace, and of your mercy. God, thank you for that. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. God, would you use us for your glory? Use us, your body, unified for your glory that people might come to know you in this day and age through the lives that we live. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Miller's coming.